Knock, knock. Who's there? Doris. Doris locked. That's why I'm knocking. Well, never ever have I started a sermon with such a poor joke. Or at least I'd like to believe that that's the case. But you might think otherwise. But there is a good reason this morning for making you groan. Today, in our later verses of Psalm 24, we're encouraged to open up the ancient doors so that the King of glory may come in. When God wants to enter in, it's not good form to leave him knocking at the door. So my prayer this morning is that as we follow King David's instruction, we'll not leave God knocking at the door, We'll welcome his presence to us as Lord. We'll be ready to welcome him in. So if you've closed your Bibles, can you open them up again to page 555? First, though, as we prepare to welcome God, our Lord, we need to learn a little bit more about who exactly he is, who's making his presence known. Because verses 1 and 2 of our psalm introduce the Lord very well. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. That's an impressive introduction. I'm not sure how many of you saw the closing ceremony of the Olympic Games last Sunday and the Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe morph into the computer game character Super Mario. Well, just like Mario, he dropped down a fictional green pipe on one side of the world in Japan and he popped up on the other side in Brazil to introduce the future 2020 uh, Games. It was an impressive introduction. But in Psalm 24, the Lord's introduction is even more impressive than that. The world is the Lord's and all who live in it. The Lord doesn't need fictional green pipes to travel around his creation. The Lord is present everywhere because he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. The Lord revealed at the start of Psalm 24 is awesome in scope and in activity. And this sets the theme for how we should feel about this psalm. It's a processional psalm of glory and of triumph. Something suitable for a winner's parade. Like we welcomed our great British Olympians home. It celebrates the Lord's vigour and vitality. It's been used by the church as a celebration of Christ's ascension to the heavenly Jerusalem after winning his mighty victory over death. King David starts this psalm by magnifying the greatness of God, his creator. And in doing so, it inevitably leaves him feeling small. When King David considers the Lord's magnificence, it leaves him asking a question. Who may seek the presence of the Lord? Verse 3. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Given how awesome the Lord of creation is, who is worthy to stand in his company? Maybe there's an impressive person you'd like to meet. Someone powerful like President Obama. Can you imagine calling up 
his secretary and asking to arrange a meeting. On what grounds would you say you deserve some of the president's time? Well, the question of how to stand in the presence of the Lord is much more than a theoretical dilemma for King David. It's thought King David writes this psalm remembering the time he tries to escort the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem. This is the Ark that the Israelites understood as the throne of God on earth. It contained the Ten Commandments. King David wanted to restore it to Jerusalem, to the center in its rightful place of prominence and rule. However, on its journey, the oxen pulling the cart on which the ark was placed stumbled and one of David's men, Uzar, reached out and touched the ark in order to steady it. The Lord saw Uzar's act as irreverent because King David had neglected to transport the ark in the way that God, the holy God, had previously prescribed. This lack of respect resulted in Uzar being struck down by God there and then. David was understandably afraid. He asked, how can the ark of the covenant ever come to me? Consequently, King David backed away from the Lord for a period of time, scared to come close for fear of offending him again. And some of us might feel a bit like that before the Lord today. You ask yourself, how can I ever be worthy of standing in his presence with all his holiness? And it's the right question to ask. We don't really get the idea of the holiness of God nowadays. As uh, we've highlighted already, our vicar Philip has been on a sabbatical and during it he's been learning biblical Hebrew. And believe you me, whether we want it or not, we're going to be treated to some words in Hebrew over the coming months. But actually, some of his insights have been good this week. Philip's studies are already paying dividends. This week, Philip shared with the staff team how the Hebrew word for Lord, which we pronounce Yahweh, in accordance with how it's spelt, is never actually written down in full, including its initials, sorry, its vowels. Furthermore, when you come across the abbreviated word in the Hebrew text, you wouldn't dream of actually saying the word Yahweh. In Jewish thought, the name Yahweh is deemed too holy to be spoken by human lips. Instead, the word Adonai is used. Such a reverent respect for God's name helps us understand what the Bible means when it speaks of fear of the Lord. It means having a right respect for God's awesome power and holiness. So given the holiness of God, by what grounds can I enter into his presence? Well, verse 4 of this psalm tells us only those with clean hands and pure hearts may stand before him. Now, as I look down at my hands now, they look pretty clean. But I believe King David is talking about much more than being generous in your use of soap. What do I do with my hands? Do I clench my fists in anger? Do I sometimes hit out? Do I take things that don't belong to me or lay a trap into which others might fall? 
Do I send aggressive emails or malicious texts or maybe click on unsuitable links on the internet? Over time, it seems our palms accumulate a lot of dirt. How do I clean my hands of these activities? And then what about the state of my heart? I might be able to restrain my outward acts, but am I pure inside? Do I get jealous over another's possessions? Do I wish I'd been born into a richer family? Am I intimidated by another's gifts, secretly hoping they might fail? Do I bless people with my mouth, but curse them in my heart? Do I look on the misfortune of others with a sense of, oh well, not to worry, at least it doesn't affect me? How can I train my heart to beat innocently? So I'm looking down at my hands, which represents my external morality, and into my heart, which represents the deepest recesses of my inner thought life. And honestly, I'm thinking I'm in trouble. The holy God has every right to cast me out of his presence. And that's before I've even considered how faithfully I am in placing my trust in him. I'm experiencing a tension that can only be described as a kind of righteousness gap. I want to be worthy to stand in God's presence but I'm not sure I belong in that place. What can I do? Well, there's good news. There's good news if we look back at the story of King David in 2 Samuel chapter 6 and see how David regroups. King David consults Israel's priests about the correct way to transport the Ark of the Covenant. And just as Moses commanded long ago, the priests tell him the only way to bring the presence of God into the center of Jerusalem is to have them carry it in and minister the correct sacrifices in order to atone for the people's sin. Think carefully about this for a moment. Only when the priests offer the right sacrifice is King David safe in the presence of God. Only then could the presence of God enter into Jerusalem and bring blessing to their city. Well, now I'm hoping that in your minds you're beginning to make the leap to Christ. Jesus is our high priest who all the Old Testament sacrifices point towards. When Jesus, who had clean hands and a pure heart, took our sin upon himself and put it to death on the cross, he enabled all those who trust in him to bridge the righteousness gap and stand confidently in the presence of God. When we seek the face of God in Jesus we are sure to find his presence with us. And verse 5 is an encouragement to seek God this way. It says we'll receive blessing and vindication from God our Saviour. But the truth is it can be hard trusting in Jesus, can't it? 
When you let God into your life, you open yourself up to all sorts of ridicule from those who prefer to rule over their own. Verse 5 says we'll be vindicated our decision, though. Did anybody see the first episode of Match of the Day this season? Last season, Gary Lineker so doubted that Leicester City could ever win the Football Premier League, he ridiculed them. He said if they did uh, win the Premier League, he would present the first episode of Match of the Day this season in just his underwear. And we all know what happened, don't we? Leicester did win the Football League, and Gary Lineker remained true to his word. He opened the show wearing just his boxer shorts, while his fellow presenters laughed at him. Leicester City were vindicated, and Gary Lineker was exposed. Well, this is a light-hearted example, but it illustrates an important point. There will be a day when all those who trust in Jesus will be vindicated for their decision. And those who mock God will be left looking like fools. So we've seen who may seek the presence of the Lord, one who acknowledges the holiness of God and stands vindicated before him in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Now we're going to ask, how do I welcome the presence of the Lord? And firstly, we welcome the presence of God with a fanfare of celebration. Welcoming God into the centre of our lives is a great cause for celebration. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Now today, later at our 6.30 service, we're celebrating the arrival of Richard Rugg into our church as our new associate minister. And in doing so, we warmly welcome Richard and his family his wife, um, Ada, and his children, his daughters, um, Nuke and Alinka, into our fellowship. And an even a better cause of celebration, in some sense, is the fact we get to reap the rewards of his previous church, St. Peter and St. Paul's, hard work. We get to receive the blessings of his ministry, and there's nothing that we have done. Sounds like a good deal for us, doesn't it? And we're truly thankful to St. Peter and St. Paul's Church for their generosity. But Richard and his family would want to acknowledge, just as King David acknowledges, our real cause for celebration as the, we get to welcome our King of glory in. The Lord Almighty is the King of glory in whom we live and breathe and have our being. Let's return to the story of King David in 2 Samuel 6 and see how this plays out. You can imagine the procession with the Ark of the Covenant led by King David arriving at the city gates of Jerusalem. Memories of King David leading Israel through multiple victories in battle over the Philistines are fresh in the people's minds. But as King David arrives at the city gates, a cry goes up from the procession to those on the city walls. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. 
Those on the city wall reply, Who is he, this king of glory? And the answer comes back from the procession. The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. But who is this king of glory, say those on the city wall? The Lord almighty, he is the king of glory. King David and his soldiers could have chalked up their victories down to their own hard work. But instead, David and those in the rest of the procession acknowledge all their victories belong to the Lord. The Lord is their true saviour and his very presence is within their midst. It was the presence of the Lord Almighty that Israel was celebrating. And for us, if we want to welcome God, we must acknowledge God arrives at the city gates of our life, having already won this battle over sin and death. We celebrate today because we get to reap the rewards of the Lord's victory. Our job is not to fight to obtain our own salvation. Our job is to open up the gates of our life and let the victory procession of Jesus Christ, our Saviour, enter in. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, God might take his rightful place of prominence and rule in our own lives, at the centre. We celebrate this morning because God allows us to join in with his victory. So if you're a follower of Jesus, perhaps a good question to reflect on is when was the last time you celebrated the fact that Christ lives in you? If you're here continuing to explore the Christian faith, what's stopping you now from opening up your door of your life and letting God in? We must move on. Because the second way we welcome the presence of the Lord comes as a result of our celebration. In our celebration, we welcome the Lord with worship. Back to 2 Samuel 6. And it says, King David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. He and all Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of sound and triumph. And sounds of trumpets. As the Ark of the Covenant entered into Jerusalem, David was leaping and dancing before the Lord. This was an ecstatic experience. So go on, if you feel like it. Do a little wiggle on your seats. You see, we've been created to worship God. When we worship God with all our might, we honour the purposes for which we have been made. In order to truly worship, though, each of us must understand something of the glory of God. One Christian preacher says, God's glory is the goal of all things. God's glory is the sum of all full and lasting joy. God's glory is the beauty of his holiness made manifest. So we catch a glimpse of God's glory when we experience his holiness in a way we can taste, see, feel or touch. This summer, in what ways have you caught a glimpse of God's glory? In good times or in bad? If you did, I imagine it filled your heart with love and praise. 
Or maybe as you look back on your life and you plot your journey and you see how God has directed your steps to where you are now and you're filled with thanks. When we experience the glory of God made real and tangible in our lives, it makes us want to express ourselves in song and maybe even dance. But not everybody wants to welcome God. When King David returned home with the Ark of the Covenant at the centre of Jerusalem, Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him, and she despised David in her heart. David's worship was undignified in her eyes because she did not have the joy of God inside. In acting this way, she set herself up against the Lord of creation in verse 1 of this psalm. The Lord of the sea and the skies and every creature within She was closed off to the Lord who created us to find our fulfilment in worshipping him. Michal was not in a healthy place to be. And this is true for all those who leave God knocking on the door of their lives who refuse to welcome him in. So if you've let God in a little bit, might you let him in a little more? And if you're currently closed off, think carefully about the reasons why. Because now, gathered as one community, we could follow King David's instruction and lift up our gates to the Lord, who is mighty and strong to save. Will we celebrate God who is present here with us now by his spirit? Will you and I open ourselves up to welcome and worship Christ, our glorious King?